Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to the newest edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. Thank you so much for listening. We have had a record series of months because people are listening. You're sharing with your friends. I am so grateful for what you're doing to get the word out about this podcast, and I hope we can keep living up to your expectation. What we want to do here is we want to do reporting. We want to tell you how to think. We bring in guests, and we try to reveal things that you don't know about or may not have heard about and we give you facts and then we leave it to you to make up your mind and today we are going to do that not once but twice we've got two amazing guests first up will be cash patel he is a former prosecutor former military man he was the house intelligence committee staffer that helped devin nunez unravel the early parts of the russia collusion story was a big part of that 2018 report that Devin Nunez wrote that's been totally vindicated. Remember at the time, Democrats and the media said it was bogus, it was garbage. Devin Nunez and Cash Patel were 100, 1,000% right. And the media, well, they were wrong, as they've been so often in the last few years. Very frustrating. Well, Cash then left the House Intelligence Committee. He went to serve President Trump, first in the National Security Council, where he oversaw counterterrorism strategy for the National Security Council, including the drone attack on the Iranian general that we took out, the greatest perpetrator of state-sponsored terrorism in years, a guy named Soleimani. You remember that, one of the big successes of the Trump administration. And then after that, President Trump asked him to go over to the Defense Department and to be the chief of staff to the last defense secretary, Christopher Miller. We are going to bring him on in a second. I'm going to explain a little bit more to talk about Afghanistan because there's a big factual dispute in the public now that the Biden administration is drawn out. We're going to let you decide who's telling the truth. Going to get to that in a second. Then, after that, we have an amazing guest, someone who is a true diplomatic and European expert, a former advisor to the great British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. He currently is the director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom, as well as a Bernard and Barbara Lomas Fellow. His name is Niall Gardner, and we're going to talk about the fraying relationship between the United States and one of its longtime closest allies, Great Britain. Uh, It has been a bumpy week when Boris Johnson was here. Didn't get treated that well by Joe Biden. He went home and took more abuse from his own home audience who thought that 
Boris Johnson should have stood up more to Joe Biden when it came to trade or China or other things. We're going to talk to Niall Gardner about what is going to happen. What is the future of U.S.-Great Britain relations? How badly damaged was it by the last few weeks, starting with the bungled withdrawal from Afghanistan and ending with Boris Johnson's rather awkward visit to the White House and Joe Biden? A lot of people talking about that, particularly in Europe. We had a story not too long ago talking about buyer's remorse. And all those Europeans that were slapping the back of Joe Biden at the G7 in summer now are starting to show real signs of buyer's remorse. England, France, Germany, all across the European allied spectrum, there is a growing concern about the competence of the Biden administration, the communication, the two-way communication you need for successful diplomacy, and of course, the credibility of saying one thing and doing another. Niall is going to bring that all into focus for us. And what better person than someone that got to work for the one and only Margaret Thatcher, Maggie Thatcher. What an amazing resource he is at the Heritage Foundation and really a remarkable expert. And you're going to learn a lot. But first, we're going to get to our first guest and we're going to set this up, go to commercial break, and then we're going to answer your question. I know that feels like a little bit of a tease. I apologize for doing it, but it's a good way because during the commercial break, you can be thinking about what you just heard. So what are we talking about? Well, when the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, a longtime trusted aide of President Biden, a guy who's pretty respected in town, gave testimony to the House and Senate last week. He was asked, point blank by Democrats, did President Trump and his team leave a plan behind for Afghanistan that addressed everything from Bagram to prisoners to rounding up and finding missing Americans to rescuing our Afghan allies who would need to flee in case of Taliban control. Here's what he said. Just listen to this exchange from the House Committee, House Foreign Affairs Committee, a little over a week ago. It's it's unequivocal. Listen to the question. Listen to the answer. Secretary Blinken, when you came into office on January 20th, we were committed to pulling everyone out of Afghanistan within three months by May 1st. Did the Trump administration leave on your desk a pile of notebooks as to exactly how to carry out that plan? Uh, Did we have a list of which Afghans uh, we were going to uh, uh, evacuate? Uh, Did we have a plan to get Americans from all over Afghanistan to Kabul and out in an orderly way? How meticulous was the planning for the Trump administration declared uh, May 1st uh, withdrawal. Uh, thank you, Congressman. Uh, we, uh, we inherited a deadline. We did not inherit a plan. All right, that's a pretty straightforward answer. There was no plan from the Trump administration. Well, my reporting, and again, it's reporting, talking to Democrats and Republicans, is there was a plan, and it was handed down from the military through the Defense Department with people like General Milley and Defense Secretary Chris Miller and the man we're about to bring on this show. He was the chief of staff, Cash Patel, the chief of staff to Chris Miller. He was at the Pentagon. It was his job to do the transition to the Biden administration. He handed over thousands upon thousands upon thousands of documents, including multiple aspects of a plan for Afghanistan. Bagram, conditions-based withdrawal, rescuing Afghan allies, all of those things. That's what my reporting shows. But listen, don't take my word for it. We're going to go to quick commercial break here from our great sponsors. When we come back, Cash Patel is going to answer that question. Was there a plan? You just heard Secretary Blinken say there wasn't. 
We're going to find out what the truth is with Cash Patel right after this commercial break. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And earlier in the show, I played you some clips from the recent testimony of Anthony Blinken, our Secretary of State, during hearings last week when they were talking about the Afghanistan withdrawal. And the one clip I played that really caught my attention is his claim that the Trump administration left them no plan. I believe the exact quote is, they left us a deadline, meaning the deadline to get out, but they didn't leave us a plan. Right now, joining us as a great friend of this show, Cash Patel, the former chief of staff at the Pentagon, before that, an important national security advisor to President Trump on counterterrorism issues, and before that, the man that worked alongside of Devin Nunez to unravel the Russia collusion false story that has now been fully exposed thanks to his great work. Cash Patel joins the show. Cash, great to have you back. John, thanks so much for having me back. Love being on your show. You know, I love facts. And and this is a really (laughs) simple question because our Secretary of State in front of Congress under the penalty of perjury or certainly under the penalty of false statements to Congress was asked, did the Trump administration leave you a plan? And he answered to a Democratic congressman, they left us a deadline. They did not leave us a plan. Now, you were there. You were the transition guy for the Trump administration. Is that statement accurate? No, absolutely not. What Secretary Blinken is continuing to do is play politics with the national security apparatus of the United States. And it's inherent in his own answer. He says they left us a deadline. We actually did not leave them a deadline. It was a negotiation between the U.S. government the Taliban and the Afghans. And if that date was not to work for this incoming administration, they could have moved it. But what they choose to do was break the entire agreement. And then they thought, since the adults were back in Washington, D.C., and Blinken and Biden were leaving the charge, the world would just fall into place for them. And um, they blew it in Afghanistan. So I think their credibility is shot when it comes to everything Afghanistan. You know, it's such a it's such a bold statement for him to make because he was unequivocal. It wasn't like, well, they left us a plan, but it wasn't a good one. Or he just said there was no plan. And so I want to walk through it because there was a conditions based plan for the Taliban had to meet certain conditions each step of the way for more troops to come out. Is that, is that and there was a plan that actually sequenced that, right, that you left them behind? Yeah, it was a sequence plan with certain wickets that um the Taliban, the Afghans would have to make alongside the United States if they wanted our assistance in establishing a peaceful negotiated government in Afghanistan without U.S. troop presence. And the main component of that was an all-out rejection of al-Qaeda and ISIS, and you can't have those guys supporting your ranks. Another piece of it was if you wanted our funds or supported training and assistance and some form of military presence, you would have to sit down at the table with each other, like they were doing in Doha, and the Afghans, the Taliban, and the U.S. would assist them in coming to a 
agreement for an interim government with, uh, at the time it was Ghani. But um, that was part of the plan. And they knew that they couldn't cross at least President Trump's threat to rain down on them should they harm a U.S. personnel or allied member. And that was the difference, really, between our plan and their plan. And we can get into Bagram if you want, but it's it's so obvious. Oh, yeah, I definitely want to get to Bagram. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, and, and, you know, these guys are running around acting as if there's like a one-pager on how to get out of Afghanistan. Right. Of course there isn't. That's absurd. Right. Um, moving 20 years worth of military presence out of a country is a multifaceted operation that the Department of Defense runs. And if Tony Blinken isn't talking to his uh, Department of Defense colleagues, because they're not coming out and saying that there was no plan. Yeah, the Defense Department's been mum, lit. right? And Lee, and yeah. re- the Defense Secretary refused to testify, which I think is a very important development. Yeah, right? isn't he going next week? Or, or well, he, he, yeah, next? but in the original hearing, he wasn't there. So Blinken had the stage to say there was no plan. Well, somebody should ask him next week, the yeah. Defense Secretary and the Chairman, was, That's if the right. plan was in motion and what was it? Yeah. And let me get through because, I mean, you, you had probably more detailed based knowledge of the plan than most people because you were the transition person for the Trump administration handing this off. There was a plan or was there not a plan for gathering American citizens and making sure they could get orderly out of the country? Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Like there are many components to this plan, equipment, peace deals, harboring, make sure terrorists are not harbored, Americans are not killed, but also American citizens in country. What are we going to do with them? I mean, it's not just the U.S. military that was there. There's lots of NGOs that have been stood up in Afghanistan, and rightly so over the last 20 years. There's religious organizations there. There's charitable organizations there. And all those folks are staffed with American citizens. So the plan, no surprise, President Trump has said it, is Americans first. So American citizens, after a peaceful negotiated government was reached, then American citizens would be drawn out first safely. And we would identify them through the process that is in place when you methodically do something with the military, the State Department, and the intelligence community. There's a difference when you evacuate versus preactively, proactively go get them. So that was also a component of the plan was to make sure we got to every American before we left the military, before we left Bagram, before we left equipment, and left uh, an, uh, a crisis like the Biden administration did. So I think that the, our plan versus what happens is, is now speaks for itself in the colossal disaster that is the Afghan evacuation. If you are a senator or a House member or one of those great congressional investigators that do all the spade work in these investigations, where would they go look for this plan? I assume the DOD gave it to the transition team, correct? Well, as I said, it's not one page. Right, no, but they're a series of components. Yeah. I'm sure there's like 25 different plans for different components. The way I analogize it to someone is who's fortunate enough to be a homeowner and then move to a bigger home. Right. If you times that by $1 trillion, then you'll sort of get an idea of what it takes to get out of Afghanistan. So, wow. you know, the paper, as you know, John, the paper moves the U.S. government, and it's no different for the Department of Defense. So Afghanistan, you need central command moving. You need Joint Special Operations Command moving. You need SOCOM moving. You need big DOD and the Pentagon moving and the Joint Staff moving. You need the Office of Secretary of Defense moving. And then you need the millions of people who operate under you to execute that plan. So this is paper upon paper upon paper. I'll give you one example. You know, okay, President Trump said, let's get down to zero by 1 May if possible. Let's get down to 2,500 in January. How are we going to do that? Well, flight airlift. So you have to move 
C-130s in and out of country on a nonstop basis for weeks on end to do that. And we did it. The paperwork's there. You can't have a manifest. You can't have a giant military plane take off and land without any paperwork. That's all part of the plan. It's in there. And senators can ask for the logistical transport from the logistical end of the Department of Defense. They can ask for the orders that were given. Um, and the order was actually, you know, pretty simple. It's a, that one you can fit on one page. It was peacefully negotiate yourself out of Afghanistan with a conditions-based withdrawal. That one's a couple of lines. But right. the implementation of that plan is what takes time. And the world knew that was President Trump's plan. So for Blinken to say there was no plan when he's been when he'd been talking about it for months is just shocking. So there are plans for evacuations, flight schedules, things like that, that how you're going to get Americans out. Were there a roster of people that generally the United States knew were in Afghanistan at that time that could be activated when, when you start contacting people? Yeah, so those holdings are in different locations, you know, right. State Department, Department right. of Defense, Intelligence Community. You just have to have a plan where you know, okay, this is what we're going to do when we need to go get them. Our, the time to go get them for us had not arrived yet because we were still in country right. and we were still working out the negotiated peace settlement. So those American citizens also, more importantly, were not under threat. Yep. And so we would pull them out when we had achieved everything we wanted to in Afghanistan with the Afghans and the Taliban. And then they would come out safely. So also, the other thing people don't understand is you can't activate everything at once. No, you, you can't. can't say, OK, do DOD, go get every American, go get all the equipment, go get all the 20,000 troops and leave overnight. It's, it's just not how it works in the theater of war. You can't even do that in America. Nope, you can't. We try to evacuate towns from hurricanes and we find all sorts of traffic jams. It has to be done orderly. Yeah. And that's part of the process. It was a layered orderly process. And. You know, if they say, they, you know, we didn't leave them a detailed thousand page plan that they were never going to follow. I think that's probably where their next uh, political rhetoric is going to go to say, well, there was no book on how to do this. So yeah. they left us no plan. I, I think it speaks for itself. Yeah, no, it, there was tons of planning and there were meetings, right? Uh, a lot of times the, there were trouble getting the Biden people to meet with the Trump people, right? They didn't want to meet with you guys. Is that right? So back in January, I actually wrote an op-ed on Fox about the transition since I was charged with spearheading it. And the White House was clear, Our uh, President Trump's White House, you are to transition fully with the incoming Department of Defense because it's the most important national security mission. And I agreed with that. So we actually provided them more documents in presidential transition history than ever before. We gave them access, and mind you, during the height of COVID, to the entire Pentagon and the senior staff and the mid-level staff, so they knew not just with Afghanistan, but anything from submarines to Navy to Army to Air Force to what have you, manning and readiness um, to, you know, to logistics. We gave them access to everyone. Now, when senior leadership, we when we called our counterparts, they refused to talk to us. That's their decision, but we reached out. There's witnesses. It's documented. They know we reached out, and uh, they didn't want to come in and speak to us. That's on them. It's really remarkable that a peaceful transition, when help is offered by the prior administration, they just turn it away uh, and then they fumble their own execution. I want to get to the big one, Bagram. You mentioned it earlier. It's so important. Was there a plan for if and when Bagram should be turned back to the Afghans? The very last thing we do yep. in country, after Americans were out, after our equipment was out and or destroyed, after the thousands of detainees at Bagram were adjudicated, 
And after that's the key thing, right? You weren't going to have them released. You were going to get them to other countries or, or get them uh, put into trial so that they wouldn't be put out in the street and be bad guys again, right? Well, that was the whole point. And that's why yep. there was a detention center there run by our allies and the Afghans, not us. Right. And so we had to help them because they, are, they don't know how to do that sort of big lift when it comes to a thousand plus detainees. So we were going to stay there in some small presence and we would also need Bagram to operate our, our special forces unit out of. So that was something that would be in the distant future, mainly because also Bagram, if something did not, and it's a theater of war, so if something did not go according to plan, we would have somewhere to land in and out of um, and have a basis of operations, not just, but our allies, NATO allies were housed there too. Yeah. So we, we bucked them when we just, when Biden said we're up and leaving. It is stunning to hear the Secretary of State make the claims he did when you're hearing this level of detail. I mean, this is not hard stuff to confirm, right? It's sitting in uh, the Joint Chiefs and in, in, inside the operational plans of SOCOM and JSOC and all of the uh, CENTCOM. And so there ought to be demonstrable proof to be able to debunk or to show that the Biden administration officials did not give us honest testimony. And it's just remarkable that Republicans haven't dug more to, to try to find this. There was a plan for equipment. You said that, right? That you would get it out and that you couldn't get out, you would destroy. Yeah. Was there a, a contingency plan should the Afghan army begin to collapse sooner than the intelligence estimate? Well, that would be a layered approach that we'd have to go back to the commander in chief with. Right. And so we would have to, we as soon as we saw something like that happening, yes, that's why we would keep Bagram. That's why we had repositioned forces near that theater of war in case something like that happened. And we kept up our, mainly, we kept up our overhead capabilities, our predator program, our ISR collection platforms and the like. But you can't do that if you give up Bagram. So the second that they did that, and unfortunately, the the biggest example is the drone strike that the Biden administration took the day after 13 U.S. service members were killed right. and then went to the podium and thumped their chest and said, Millie said, oh, it was a righteous strike. Turned out not to be too righteous, did it? It was not righteous to kill seven children and 10 innocent people and then wait to tell the American public two weeks on a Friday night that they screwed up when everybody was out of the country. And so, no, I don't think that was righteous. I also think that you lose the intelligence capabilities to execute a strike like that in the middle of an evacuation. And that's what they were doing. They were shooting from the sky with nothing on the ground and basically shooting blind. So it's a tragic, tragic result of the loss of life. But I think what's almost as tragic is how they politicized it to say, we are going to get the ISIS bombers that killed us, that killed our service members, and it couldn't have been further from the truth. That's just a remarkable moment. These plans weren't just done by a bunch of Trump people, right? You've got generals, you've got career people. Was Millie involved in the planning? Yeah, of course. And that's the thing. Most of the people at the Pentagon aren't political officers. There's very few of the three million people at the Department of Defense are political officers, and rightly so. So they, there's a chain of command, and once it is implemented and executed, they go to work. They do their job. And... You know, we don't follow the paper trail from one to 100. That's the purpose of the chain of command. You give an order, the commander in chief says go, then you oversee the execution of that plan. Yep. And the three million people churn, churn the machine. And everybody in that chain of command knows their role and what they need to execute because that's their specialty. That's their, that's their responsibility, right? Sure. Unless they, just, unless they took it upon themselves to not follow the chain of command. And yeah. unfortunately, we're seeing some examples of that. 
I want to uh, go to that in a second because the, the China calls are, are most perplexing to me. But just one more thing and as we get to this plan. So it, it, next week, when Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and when General Milley are testifying for the first time and we get the counterparts to, to Tony Blinken, what are the things that people should be watching for? What are the questions that lawmakers should be asking so that we can uh, isolate the truth here and get some of this false narrative corrected? Ask them flat out or ask Millie flat out. Did President Trump tell you to withdraw out of Afghanistan with a conditions-based withdrawal? Did you follow that order? What was the planning that undertook after that order was issued? And then ask him, why didn't you give that plan to the Biden administration? If the Biden administration is telling us the truth, they never got anything. You're the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You're the most apolitical officer, highest uniformed officer in the country. You stayed during both administrations. Are they lying or are you? Yeah. It's very simple. And then produce the paperwork for those committees ahead of time. The the committees, the armed services committees and the intel committees should be asking for the paperwork, not just on the withdrawal, but on the drone strike. They should be asking who authorized this drone strike. And that a strike of that nature in that time has to go all the way up to the commander in chief. Yep. But more importantly, they should be asking, what was the intelligence that said that not seven children were in the car, but a terrorist and a terrorist that you said, was responsible for killing U.S. service members. How did you get that so wrong? And what I think happened is the the officers on the ground, the operators, probably said we should not take this strike. And what happened was political operatives on the top who are politicizing the national security apparatus said, we need to take this because we need a political win. And that's what they should be asked. They need to have the screws put to them. Who gave the authorization and why, after all of the time we had to wait, why did you wait two weeks to tell us you got it wrong? It doesn't take them two weeks to know they missed. And those are some of the things that they need to be buckling down on for next week's testimony. Would your former boss, the acting defense secretary, Chris Miller, would he be a useful witness if he were called by the Republicans or the Democrats? He would kind of know what the plan was, right? Well, I mean, the plan. It, yeah, I mean, look, the plan's out there. It just depends on whether or not people in, in on Capitol Hill care to want to go get it. Yeah. As I said, it's not That's on it. one piece of paper. You can't right. walk in and say, here's the Afghan withdrawal. Yeah. You right. have to put it forth a collective effort. So Chris could speak to it like I'm speaking to it, but right. Congress has to go into the bowels of the Pentagon and pull go out get the it. paperwork. Yeah. That's, that's and the that's key. a congressional oversight responsibility. No doubt. No doubt about it. All right. I want to switch to the other big thing that General Milley gives us, and that is the post-January 6th a time frame where he seems to be having his own phone calls about China, about the president's powers, about nuclear weapons with, with people like Nancy Pelosi and the, uh, the military leaders of China. At any point when you were there, did you or your boss know that Milley was having those contacts with China? If the way the calls are portrayed in terms of the discussions he was having, no. Do we know that Chairman Milley is having calls with his counterparts? Of course. Yep. I agree that the chairman can keep up with his counterparts as long as he stays in his lane and does not enter the chain of command or the or the operational command authority of the president or the secretary of defense. That is prohibited by law. So there's no circumstance where secretary of defense or the president would have even delegated that authority to him because the law prohibits it. And for good reason, because the law mandates civilian rule of our military. So is he calling partners and allies and counterparts? Sure, to talk about his role and their role, um, about advising our 
president, that's one thing. But to enter the operational chain of command is totally something different. And we are seeing more and more examples, if they're true, about this chairman acting outside of his power and going back. And, I, and I'm telling you, this chairman needs to be asked what his role in that drone strike was. Get the four-star general from Special Operations Command up to Capitol Hill and ask him if this chairman instructed him to do anything as it relates to that drone strike. And why and would that be chairman- significant? If Let's suppose Milley gave the order. Is Milley inside the chain of command for an, a strike like this? He's not in the chain of command for anything. And I know right. most people find that hard to believe since he's sort of taken it upon himself to create a pseudo State Department. But the law that creates the Joint Chairman's, the Chief of Staff Office, specifically prohibits the chairman. It doesn't, it doesn't omit it by just it not being there. It specifically says the chairman has no operational command authority whatsoever, period. His only job, it says, furthermore, is to advise the President of the United States on military matters when asked. That's it. That's his job. And uh, so if there is an evidence that Milley gave the order or approved the order or pressured the order, he would be acting outside of his powers at that moment, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's you think correct. that that's a likely scenario, right? That's something that Congress ought to be investigating. I think they should be looking at it very well, very closely, and they yep. should be pulling the paperwork that probably has his signatures on it as to both the intelligence beforehand, the chain of command that it went through, and who finally gave the green light, and who was on the phone when it happened, and who actually said go. I think that needs to be investigated. And do you think President Biden's in the loop? I don't know. I don't know anymore what he's doing. Right. But certainly a question that needs to be asked. If not, it could have stopped at Milley, right? They could have. The National Command Authority goes from the president to the secretary of defense. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff is not in that National Command Authority by law. So I guess that's another point to investigate to see if was Lloyd Austin calling the shots and was he executing on behalf of the president, which he's legally allowed to do, but he can't delegate that to the chairman. Right. When you hear these things and you see them, what's very interesting is the Biden administration is not disputing the Woodward book at all. In fact, uh, Milley has basically doubled down and said, yeah, I made two calls to China, not one, I made two. When you hear things like the nuclear codes are being discussed, and he's discussing them with, if you believe the book and, and the, the the stories that are out there, with people like Nancy Pelosi, who doesn't even, shouldn't even have any power over the president, what does that tell you is going on? How do you interpret what's in the public domain right now that doesn't seem to be disputed by Milley or the Biden administration? Well, that's the biggest thing. There's no denial coming out of this Pentagon or this White House as to the content of that call. And I think that's, you know, a pretty glaring thing that most people aren't paying attention to. So if the contents of the calls are true, again, similarly with the nuke, uh, the operation of the nuclear command, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has no operational command authority for the nuclear command posture. Zero. By law, he's prohibited. If he's talking about it to the Speaker of the House and saying he's going to change it or safeguard it somehow, he is not by law permitted to do that. And that needs to be investigated as well which may even include asking Nancy Pelosi to come in and testify, which I doubt will happen. But on those calls, definitely on the China call, I'm not sure about the Speaker of the House call, there are going to be other staffers on that call. There's going to be stenographers and note takers. All those people, and you asked earlier, and I should have said this earlier, all of those people need to go to Capitol Hill and testify and provide all of their written documentation for the call with Milley and the Chinese counterpart and for the call with Milley and the Speaker of the House and any other calls, including all the drone strike content because there were phone calls for that as well. And the military, if nothing else, is extremely detailed and documents everything. So 
there are a litany of officers and enlisted personnel that are surround the chairman during phone calls and actions like this, and all of them and their paperwork needs to go to Capitol Hill. This is so important to get this out there because I think a lot of people don't realize there's a treasure trove that would resolve these factual questions. This doesn't have to be a he said, she said, because in fact, Mm -hmm. the Pentagon's probably the most papered agency of any in, in America. The answers are lying straight straight in the documentation. Um, uh, did you ever learn, did, did Millie or any of the defense officials ever tell you that he was having conversations with Nancy Pelosi? Generally, he would tell us that Nancy Pelosi called him, and he made it out to us to be like he was just keeping the peace, and we took him at his word. He said, okay, if you're just keeping the peace, you know, between keeping lines of communication open and, and not discussing operational command authority, uh, information, then that was fine. But that's what we were led to believe. So if he if he violated that commitment that he made to us, then that's another matter that needs to be investigated. And also, if it's true, then he would have lied to what he was talking to Nancy Pelosi about. He would yeah. have lied to the secretary. So you would have been, you guys would have been blind. You wouldn't be knowing what he was doing. He wasn't reporting to his current commander chief. No, if we knew any of that, of course, we, me and the secretary of defense, Chris Miller at the time, would have called him out on that. So that's yep. the other thing. We weren't privy to any of this, these allegations that are now coming out. Had we known about them, we would have confronted them because they would be in contravention to the chain of command, to the commander in chief, and to the law. And if uh, Milley had these alleged concerns about President Trump's grasp on power or his, you know, whatever it was, uh, there is a process, right, which is to go to the cabinet secretary and, and ask for a 25th Amendment process to begin. That request was never made by General Milley that you know of, right? Well, I don't even think he has the ability to institute that. But I'm, I well, he certainly could go it. and say, "Listen, as 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 your advisor, uh, I'm this worried, and you should consider it." Right? I mean, he doesn't have the power to do. He's not a cabinet member, but there was an avenue, a legal avenue, to raise these questions rather than having sidebar conversations with. Well, I'll just say this: I was with Chairman Milley in the Oval numerous times, countless times, where he constantly told me and the Secretary of Defense how he was in agreement with President Trump's appreciation of the intelligence and operational command of places like Iran, China, Russia, the Middle East. So at no time did Mark Milley around us ever question the president's mental capacity. So there would be no no reason for him to do so unless he was just lying to our faces. And then also using fake information to say the president was not fit to serve. He never made that comment publicly, and he agreed with the president on almost every operational command decision the president decided to take. Pretty remarkable. Uh, what, a, what a different story now emerges, and you sort of get the sense of a, a double agent, but you're just somebody that was playing all sides if, if these stories come true. The good news is you've identified today a roadmap of the sort of documents that we could all get to answer these questions and get honest facts and, and then make a, an informed decision. As you look back now, you I mean, you, you, you were the frontline warrior with Congressman Nunes on Russia collusion. You saw some of the uh, false realities that were created during the impeachments. Um, how problematic is that the, the combination of media and bureaucrats particularly are able to create a portrait of things that the American people believe for a long time that turn out to be completely manufactured? Is this Are we living with this for the rest of our lives in politics, or is this something that can be put to stop to? Well, it's going to go on for a while. I mean, Look, the stuff surrounding Chairman Milley is just the latest example. Russiagate was another example. The impeachment hoax was another example. Uh, the Bounty Gate scandal in Afghanistan was another example. We can go on and on and on. Lafayette Square, on and on we could. 
Yeah, and how the original border situation was first addressed by the media under Trump, and then how they also uh, improperly report on that. I think you have to call out the media every time like you do, and I think it's a big lift, and it's going to take time to get it back. I don't think that it's going to happen anytime soon because the landscape is just blown up, and most journalists have forgotten their responsibility to integrity and the truth, and they're just looking for the next headline. They're also looking to, as this administration does, give signals on how to govern. And this administration yep. seems to take them from the mainstream media more often than not, which is upsetting to me as a national security official. The only decision-making authority should be the government based on intelligence, not based on what the lamestream media is putting out. Uh, last question, because I know we spend a lot of time and I'm learning so much. I think all our listeners learn so much every time you come on the show. We're, we're so grateful. The Sussman indictment, I've seen you talk about this the last few days. I think you have the best take on it. Um, we knew because of your earlier work uh, that Christopher Steele walked in a bogus allegation paid by Donald Trump. It was Russian disinformation and uh, false stuff. And he uses his connections to get into the FBI and, and perpetrate part of a false story. Is Sussman another leg of that operation, basically another effort to deceive the FBI into thinking there was something to investigate? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this on the Sussman stuff. So I think um, he's one of the central figures being the lawyers for the DNC and the Hillary campaign, and they paid him and his law firm millions of dollars to go recruit and hire Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele and then to launder what they knew was garbage information into an intelligence community and report back to the Hillary Clinton campaign that they were doing so because they were paying them and then go up and seek a, and use that information to get to get a surveillance warrant on a presidential campaign. I mean, it's just uh, it's outrageous. And I do a deep dive of the Sussman indictment on my show, Cash's Corner. You do. It's out a great. I can't wait. It's going to be a deep dive. And uh, just to remind your audience, the deposition that was cited in the Sussman indictment, the sworn testimony, I took that as a staffer leading to Chairman Nunes' investigation. So stay tuned for more there. But I think it's the first step of a few more indictments to come. Yeah, you, you see more. The way this indictment is structured and the hints in it, uh, this thing isn't over, right? There's more to come in your mind. Oh, no. 27 pages for a 1,001 count is almost, un it is unheard of. Not almost, it yeah. is unheard of. Yeah. And so there's so much detailed in there. And we're going to start identifying who those folks are and laying it out for the American public because I think they have a right to know. Yeah, such important stuff. Now, how do people stay in touch with everything you do, whether it's Cash's Corner, the great show every every week, or the work you're doing on a daily basis? How can they follow what you're doing, Cash? Well, I appreciate that, John. So basically, the hub is fightwithcash.com. It's Cash with a K. Um, you'll find the latest episodes of Cash's Corner, but you'll also find my latest media appearances and, and podcast interviews like this one, and also the, the uh, other lift I've taken up, which is uh, fundraising for Americans who have been defamed and deplatformed. We're going to use that money at fightwithcash.com and go out and pay for your lawyers so you can have your day in court and you can sue the mainstream media and the social tech giants of the world uh, that have wronged you like they've wronged me. And you can read all about it at fightwithcash.com or shoot us an email at info at fightwithcash.com. Fightwithcash.com, folks, go check it out. Such an important thing. The very first time I was going to meet Cash, it was up in Capitol Hill and and um, one of the staffers was there and and uh, just before he came in, he said, you're never going to find a better truth teller than Cash. I'll never forget that moment. I'm sitting across from the guy and he, he actually had a glass of wine. He was sitting with me, I'm telling you, you're never gonna find a better truth teller than Cash. And over the years, 
that turned out to be a very prophetic statement. Cash, you are such a remarkable uh, American because you're always trying to get facts. You're not trying to spin. You're always out there getting facts. And we're really lucky uh, to have you not only in our service, but also to get you on this show where we can walk away a lot more smarter than we came in every day. Thanks so much, John. I really appreciate those kind words. I'll try to live up to them continuously and appreciate being on your great show. It's one of the best out there. Well, thanks. A lot more truth to tell. That's our that's our mantra. A lot more to go get. <laughs> All right, Cash. We'll have you back on soon. Thank you so much for the time today. Thanks, John. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got more remarkable guests just ahead. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, uh, the director of the Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom and a Bernard and Barbara Lomas fellow, Niall Gardner is joining us. He is a tremendous expert on U.S.-British relations and really all things foreign affairs. I just want to welcome him to the show. Niall, welcome welcome to John Solomon Reports. It's great to be here, John. Thanks, thanks very much. We have just gone through a pretty remarkable moment in diplomatic history. And, and a lot of the people I talk to, particularly in Europe, say there's a buyer's remorse about Joe Biden. There were such high hopes, and now there seems to be such disappointment and growing anger. What is the sentiment in, in Europe, particularly, with the diplomatic and foreign policy of Joe Biden? Well, I think there's, uh, there's very strong rising anti-Biden sentiment, not only in the UK, but across much of Europe as well. I, I do think that Joe Biden's leadership is seen as a spectacular disaster on the international stage. Uh, I think that um, you know, our NATO allies feel hugely let down over the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, they were not properly consulted. Uh, they were left in the dark. In fact, their, their advice was completely ignored, and that includes the advice of the British Prime Minister, who had urged Biden to delay the withdrawal. Uh, and, uh, you know, Joe Biden wouldn't even take uh, Boris Johnson's phone call for 36 hours after the fall of Kabul. And so that's a demonstration, really, of how, you know, Biden treats America's closest friends and allies. And I think there's a real lack of trust in Biden's leadership at the moment. And, and I've spoken to dozens of European politicians, uh, diplomats, officials uh, in recent weeks, and they're just horrified by Biden's actions. And they really fear, of course, uh, a a tremendous decline of of the United States on the world stage. I mean, Biden is leading a new era of isolationism. uh, And that, that I think, is seen as very dangerous among our closest friends. And uh, and I think that's a, you know, a very reckless path to be taking for any U.S. president. It is remarkable, too, because the expectation was just the opposite. This was going to be a warming up, a return to competence, a return to confidence. And it seems like those sentiments are, you know, Britain, France, Germany, no matter where you talk on the continent, uh, a significant amount of dissatisfaction uh, just so few months into this presidency. 
you wrote a really remarkable column and you said that the the Joe Biden Boris Johnson meeting that just occurred was potentially one of the most important summits uh, between our two countries since the 9/11 era. It's a brilliant column. Uh, it played out, but it probably didn't play out exactly the way the Brits thought. Tell us what's your assessment of how the summit yesterday played out. Yes, well, th- thank you very much for reading the Telegraph uh, piece and uh you know, I have to say that, um, you know, this has been overall a very disappointing uh, summit for the, the British Prime Minister because their top priority clearly for Boris Johnson when he flew over to first in New York and then he took the train to Washington, the top priority was the US-UK free trade deal. And in the Brexit era, with the UK as the world's fifth largest economy, a trade deal with the, uh, the biggest economy in the world, the United States, would be the jewel in the crown for the Brexit era, really. And so this this trade deal is hugely important. And uh, already under the Trump administration, many rounds of negotiations have taken place. President Trump was 100 percent committed to the deal. Uh, and uh, Joe Biden basically uh, you know, poured cold water over it uh, in the discussions in, yeah, in Washington. He, really did. he would not publicly. Yeah, he wouldn't publicly endorse the notion of a trade deal with the United Kingdom. Uh, he refused to refute uh, Barack Obama's uh, claim that. UK would be at the back of the queue for a trade deal with the United States. Uh, and, uh, you know, Joe Biden's, uh, you know, approach, I, I thought was very unpleasant. Uh, and, you know, this is no way to treat your closest friend and, and ally. And and I think that, uh, you know, Boris Johnson would have been very disappointed by the response that Biden gave. Yeah. And he probably ends up weakened back home too, right? Because he didn't totally repudiate the president being on Washington soil here. He didn't want to do it, I guess. Uh, but I think he comes home to a country that felt like their prime minister should have stood up more to the American president, made clear that, you know, Britain's going to pursue its best interests. And uh, is that a potential repercussion for Boris Johnson coming back home now? Well, I think there'll be a lot of questions asked about why the prime minister didn't stand up to Joe Biden. Uh, and I think you're already seeing some of that, uh, you know, approach being taken in, in The Telegraph, which is the UK's leading uh, most influential newspaper. Uh, and I think there'll be a growing view in the UK that, uh, you know, Joe Biden is treating Britain very, very badly. He, uh, of course, threw Britain under the bus over Afghanistan. Now he's knifing Britain in the back over a trade deal. And so, you know, it's time for the British Prime Minister to stand up for Britain against Joe Biden. Of course, you know, Boris Johnson's instincts are to avoid confrontation, especially with the US president. He doesn't want to have that kind of argument with a US president. Uh, and, you know, when you had Donald Trump as the uh, U.S. president, actually Boris Johnson got on very well with Trump uh, on, on many issues, especially the trade deal issue. But, you know, Boris Johnson, uh, sorry, Joe Biden is a very, very different kind of politician to, to Trump. And Biden doesn't really care about the U.S.-U.K. special relationship. He doesn't care about Britain. He's very pro-EU, he's anti-Brexit, you know, and right. in my view, you can't trust right Biden on these issues. I mean, he can't be trusted. And so Boris Johnson goes to, to Washington with a very kind of trusting approach. You can't trust Joe Biden as the U.S. president in terms of his dealings with, with the United Kingdom. Yeah. And how much does the Northern Ireland issue infect this relationship or infect the way Biden views uh, the United Kingdom? Yeah. So, um, you know, Biden views everything with regard to the U.K. through the lens of you know Irish nationalism, really. I mean, that, that, that's the key issue for him right and he buys he buys into all of this european union propaganda which is fed to him no doubt daily because he's surrounded by advisors who are very pro-eu he's buying into all this propaganda claiming that the northern ireland uh, protocol um as it currently stands 
has to remain in place. This is a protocol that was actually forced on the UK by uh, by the European Union as part of the Brexit negotiations. Uh, it's actually a very bad uh, deal for the UK, the protocol. It's, it's not a good deal for the UK. It's very bad for Northern Ireland. Right. So the British government wants to amend it. Uh, but Joe Biden is saying if the UK amends the protocol, then there will be repercussions from the United States, including no trade deal with, you know, with the UK. And so, so Biden is absolutely obsessed with this Irish issue. Uh, and, uh, you know, he is treating uh, the entire relationship with the UK through the lens of the Northern Ireland uh, question. Uh, and, you know, frankly, Joe Biden, I think, doesn't understand anything about the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, he doesn't strike me as a president with who possesses great intellectual prowess, who actually reads, you know, policy papers in detail. Uh, in fact, he probably can't remember, I think, one day to the next, if, if he has actually looked at some document. And so, you know, I, I think that Biden doesn't really understand this issue very well. Uh, Trump's instincts on this question were absolutely 100% right, which is that the U.S. should stand with the U.K. Uh, and the U- U.S. should support the United Kingdom in its, in its battle against the European Union. This was President Trump's approach. Boris Johnson uh, basically is now faced with a U.S. president who, who doesn't respect uh, Great Britain, who doesn't respect Brexit, who doesn't respect the democratic will of the British people to leave the EU. And that, that, is, the, that is the reality that uh, we, are, we are facing right, uh, right now. Uh, and you know, I, I do think Joe Biden is an absolute disaster for America. He's a disaster as well for the U.S.-U.K. special relationship. You had a, a very elegant line in your col- column about China potentially being the winner of a frayed British-U.S. Uh, alliance. Um, you wrote, the Biden administration has been far too weak on the China front. A tougher British stance already championed by many leading MPs, including uh, Sir Ian Duncan Smith and Tom Tugendhat, uh, will be a much added, uh, will add a much needed backbone to the U.S. position. Does China walk away from the meeting this week feeling more emboldened? I think I think so. You know, um, not least because well, Biden, of course, he didn't stand up to China, the UN, or the General Assembly. I mean, his speech was just uh, an absolute gift. Uh, and there was no discussion, as far as I can tell, in the in the Boris Johnson Joe Biden meeting of, of China. I mean, I, I didn't uh, get any sense of that at all. And that's very disappointing because you've got the two most powerful leaders in the world together in the room, uh, in the Oval Office. Why aren't they addressing the single biggest threat to the world today? And that's posed by China. Right. And they're not discussing it, or at least they're not discussing it publicly, which they, which they should be doing, sending yeah. a message to Beijing. And so what kind of message does that actually send to the Communist Party in China? They're, of course, delighted by the silence that they're hearing from Washington. Yeah. As many say, silence is complicity. Uh, now, how do people follow the good work you do? You're such an influential thinker on, on European matters, on terrorism, global politics. What's that? How do people follow the work you're doing? Well, that's, that's very kind. They can follow the work I do at the, at the Heritage Foundation through our website, heritage.org. And also, they, they can follow my, my writings, uh, frequent writings at the Daily Telegraph in London. And also on Twitter as well, where I post uh, my articles and, and media interviews. And very, very kind uh, of you, uh, John, to, uh, to highlight that. Yeah, it's a very important, uh, you're a very important voice in, in diplomacy today. And so we're grateful for the time. I think you made a lot of sense out of a, what was a tormenting week for a lot of us here in both the United States and Great Britain. And uh, it makes a lot more sense after talking to you. So we're very grateful for that. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. John. Look forward to having you on the show again real soon. Thanks, Niall. All the best. All right, you too. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, folks, that wraps it up for another edition of John Solomon Reports. A big thanks to Cash Patel for that incredible interview. You now have the other side of the story, the one that Anthony Blinken uh, didn't give the Senate or the House last week. And uh, now you have some good data points to make your own mind up. And then a big thanks for Niall Gardner for helping us put into focus and to make understandable why tensions between Great Britain and the United States, tensions in Europe and the United States are growing. The Biden administration has ruffled and in some cases outright offended a large number of our European allies. That's a good and important thing to know. All right. So before we go, it's getting time to think about the weekend. And uh, I just got a new order from my good friends at the Wild Alaskan Company. I love seafood. I love salmon. I can't get enough of it. Whether it's Soho, whatever salmon it is, it is among my favorite. And I got to tell you, I kind of feel like a home chef every time I get a new box from the Wild Alaskan Company. I order it. It comes on a monthly basis. There are flavorful meals, high quality ingredients, it's what a home chef wants to feed his family. I'm a griller, right? My wife owns the kitchen on the inside. I like to go out in the back porch and grill, and there's nothing like fresh seafood on the grill. Nothing like it. And that's why we're so proud to be partners with Wild Alaskan Company. The founder comes from a long line of Alaskan commercial fishermen. The whole family, the entire company, is filled with expert commercial fishermen who are used to getting the highest quality, sustainably sourced seafood right to your plate. It is a great product. I regularly have it on my table. I regularly am grilling out with it. With Wild Alaskan Company, you know exactly what you're getting every time. Why? Because it's wild caught seafood that is frozen at the peak of freshness. It's locked in all of the delicious flavors and texture, and you're ready to enjoy it at home when it arrives at your door. You put it in your freezer, you pull it out whenever you get a hankering for fish, which for me is a lot. Now, when you you become a member of the Wild Alaskan Company, you're going to receive a variety of perfectly portioned wild-caught seafood. It's like salmon, halibut, cod, all those great meals delivered to your door. Don't have to go to the store. Don't have to fight the lines. Get frustrated when there's missing fish in the counter because people got there before you. And there have been a lot of shortages at the grocery store lately, not to mention the fact that the prices are going up. Now, the folks at Wild Alaskan Company are so confident in their product, and I am too, that they offer a 100% money-back guarantee. Who does that on food? Very few people. They offer a 100% back guarantee. Just think about that. This doesn't happen. You can change or pause your delivery late anytime after you become a member. Move your subscription to the frequency that matters most or works best for you. Now, right now, you're going to get $15 off your first box of wild-caught seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash justnews. Let me give you that again. wildalaskancompany.com slash justnews. What are you going to do? You're going to get $15 off your first box. That is a steal. Make your next weekend an incredible seafood deluxe dinner for your family at your home. How do you do it? You just go to 
wildalaskancompany.com slash just news. Just news gives you that $15 special discount. You don't get anywhere else. It's because you support this show and you support this great news site that we have here at justthenews.com. If you want to say thanks for the content, if you want to get more of the same content, you got to support the great people that make this show and make our website possible. That includes my incredible friends at the Wild Asking Company. And here's the best part. You're going to be supporting our journalism. You're going to be supporting their great product. And you're going to be filling your belly with some of the best sustainable, healthy seafood you've ever had. It is delicious. My son and my wife are waiting for Saturday because I promised them to pull out some of the packages from the freezer. We're going to go all out with an incredible dinner. Salmon and cod. Get ready. You could too. Why waste another minute? Good food. Help support good journalism and help support a true American company, a true American success story, the Wild Alaskan Company. One more time. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash just news. 15 bucks off your first box. Don't wait. Go do it today. You'll be accomplishing three things at once. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the week, at least for today. Not the week. We got one more to go. But special thanks to all our guests. A special thanks for the Wild Alaskan Company for all they're doing. Remember to support them and all our other great sponsors. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to take you to the border in Texas for some real life accounts of what it's like to be in the Del Rio community overrun by 10, 12, 14, 15,000 Haitian immigrants. Another consequence of the Biden border policy, a great live event with three real people on the ground in Del Rio. Our reporter, Bethany Blankley, a famous fisherman who settled in Del Rio and has seen the fishing tourism industry destroyed this summer by the border crisis, and then a county judge, a county commissioner, and a rancher whose personal property has been affected by this incredible crisis. What a great show tomorrow. You will not want to miss it. We'll be back. Until then, may God bless you, and may God bless this extraordinary country of the United States of America, as he always has. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News.